I invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. We just want to look at one verse today. Isaiah chapter 9. I'll read verse 2. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. It says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the privilege of being able to open your word, especially the Old Testament, to be able to see what you said many, many years ago and then see it being fulfilled in the time of Christ Lord, what a, what a joy it is to have that full view in history. I pray that as we meditate on these words, think through these words, that it would be comforting to our own hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the prophet Isaiah here is ministering in a time where the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom have split in Israel. Um, the northern kingdom was a, a lot more ungodly, ungodly leadership They were uh, then, uh, the Lord, uh, uh, he caused them to be invaded by Babylon and they were carted off. Many of them were carted off um, into Babylon. That would have been Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was the northern kingdoms. And the southern kingdoms, they were a little more godly, but not much. They weren't much uh, behind the northern kingdom. They were sinking into spiritual decline as well, into darkness. And God uh, was prophesying through his uh, prophet Isaiah. And actually Hosea and uh, Micah was uh, contemporaries of Isaiah as well. And he was warning Judah that they continued to go in decline, they would be going off into exile as well. And so the first part of Isaiah is judgment and warning. The second part of Isaiah, chapter 40 on, is more of an encouragement and comforting to the people of Israel, of Judah. But God was still going to keep His judgment. Uh, They had... They had judgment uh, proclaimed by God, but God was also going to comfort them. And their biggest source of comfort we see in the book of Isaiah was that the Messiah is going to come. That someday God is going to bring a a king and and he is going to change everything. And, And folks, that's the same Messiah that we have today. That's the same Messiah that we celebrate, that we look back 2,000 years ago that the one that died on the cross, the one that came as a baby and that died on the cross. Now, I pointed out last week the, the fact that these Old Testament saints, they had to get their encouragement from the uh, Old Testament Scripture. And within that Scripture, though, they would narrow it down and the source of comfort from the Old Testament, really came down to one person, and that was the Messiah to come. So it's really one idea. This promise 
of a Savior to come that God had given from the beginning, Genesis, and that God was going to fulfill His covenant, that His promise to Abraham to restore things back to their original sin, state before sin, conquer Satan, and put all of the enemies to death, and then His Messiah would reign. And folks, that's the same hope that we have today. Same Messiah, same hope. And that brings comfort to our own heart. And our heart needs to be comforted. Our hearts need to be comforted in this time. When our children were growing up, we would sing to them uh, this, a song before they would go to bed. We would put them down to, to bed at night. Of course, their, their hearts, they, they, they didn't want to go to bed being children. They're anxious, excited. Uh, you turn off the lights, they're going to be scared. And so their, their hearts needed to be calm. And so we would sing a song to them before we would go to, to bed. Um, and I was reminded of this this week. This song that we would sing was from Psalm 80, uh, Psalm verse four, verse Psalm chapter four, verse eight. And I was reminded because I had a new grandbaby this week. Now you knew I was going to slip that in. I have to say that we were up with uh, Tiffany and Caleb. They were at the hospital. We were keeping our little grandbaby Cassia, and we were singing this song to her. I was reminded this is this is what we did when we our children were young. And this is the song that we would sing. It goes like this. I will lie down and sleep. will sleep in peace. I will lie down and sleep in peace. Pretty simple, right? He goes on to say, You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I will lie down and sleep in peace. One basic idea there. And this is a Psalm of David, Psalm 4. And um, you can imagine David being out in the wilderness, uh, keeping watch over his sheep, maybe at nighttime, uh, maybe not wanting to close his eyes. And he's taking that one thought, that one idea, and he's comforting his heart with that one idea. Uh, or you can imagine David maybe uh, being in the, in the heat of the battle, or maybe the battle has, has waned at night, and he's, he doesn't want to sleep, doesn't want to close his eyes because someone may attack. But, but he knows, he can trust God. He can close his eyes and sleep. But, but he comes back maybe to that one thought, the fact that, that his life is in God's hands, and he can trust God. He can close his eyes and sleep. Maybe this is the, the psalm that Daniel sang or had in his mind when he was sleeping among the lions. Would you be able to sleep? Would you be able to trust God in that kind of situation? One little thought, they would have to take that thought, comfort their hearts and minds. Now, it amazes me uh, that these Old Testament saints had such confidence and such strong faith when they had such little information they didn't have as much information as we had today and it was it, it takes a deliberate intentional act to uh to take a, a principle found in the word of god process that and then calm the heart down now we uh we want the comfort we want the confidence and we want the conviction of these old testament saints 
But many times we don't want the mental discipline. But that's what it takes. It takes mental discipline to take the Word of God and and to process it and apply it to the heart to calm the heart down. We want the Daniel, and we want to be like Daniels and David's and Meshach and Abednego and Abraham and Moses. But frankly, folks, the church here in America is spoiled. We want everything handed to us. We don't want to meditate on God's Word. And it's too difficult to take one idea and to meditate on it and then to apply it to our lives. We want somebody else to do that and then just tell us what to do. But that's not at all the pattern of these Old Testament saints. And when we were putting our children to bed, we would sing this song to them. And we wanted them, the last things that they would hear before they would drift off to sleep would be the very words of Scripture. These ideas that that God can comfort them. That God will watch over them. That we would hoping that they would have the same confidence as David would have. We wanted them to experience this. And so they drifted off to sleep so that they can calm their own hearts down uh, and and, uh, make that a a pattern of their life before they would go to bed. We wanted that to be a a part of their life, a, a habit, a habit. To take the Word of God, to calm the anxious heart down, especially at nighttime. That tends to be when things get chaotic. We wanted that to build a habit into their life before they move it into adulthood. Because once you become an adult, it's harder, isn't it? It seems harder, at least, to take every thought captive. It seems a little harder to to have the mental discipline to uh, uh, to develop the habit of applying the Word of God to our heart. It's much easier to just follow the flesh, to to, uh, it's much easier to just give in to the flesh, to allow our minds to just uh, overreact and, and expand ideas, and blow things out of proportion, make mountains out of molehills, and, and to explode that anxious heart. The heart is naturally anxious anyway because of sin. We continue to dwell on Things that are not true. And that causes our heart to be anxious. And it's just the opposite of what uh, Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. When he said to think on these things. But it's easier to think on things that are not true. It's easier to think on things that are not honorable. Think on things that are not right. Think on things that are not lovely or of good reputation. Or of excellence or praiseworthy. It's easier to to just let our hearts go or to buy into Satan's lies and let that agitate the heart. So I'm amazed that these Old Testament saints, they they had very little information, but they would take that word and they would apply it to our heart. We have the whole complete word of God today. We have stories of missionaries down through the ages and how God has worked. We have our own experience, the Holy Spirit working in our life and changing us and producing holiness within our own heart. And, and so it amazes me that, that we could have such a high anxiety level. Not only in the world, but in, in the church. It's needless. The suicide rate, even among children, teens, 
are high. But we lack the skill of meditating on the Word of God and applying it to our life and comforting our own heart. And I think we can learn from these Old Testament saints. They were just putting pieces of puzzle together. They didn't have the full picture as much as we do today. So Adam and Eve, they would only have the the promise, the one little promise that someday God is going to send a a Savior and He's going to crush Satan's head. That's about all they had. 1,500 years later then, God communicates to Abraham and saying, okay, Abraham, it's through your descendants that uh, I'm going to send this Messiah. And another 400 years then, he talks to David and, and says, David, now it's going to be through your lineage that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to reign on your throne forever. And again, they're just piecing bits and pieces of this uh, uh, profile of Messiah and, and they're putting it together. Of course, Moses comes along and he gives us a little bit more detail that even in Israel's rebellion, God is going to save them. And you get glimpses, little glimpses, down through the ages of of a profile of this Savior that is going to come, this Messiah that's going to come. And they would take those bits and pieces and pull it together to a theology. And again, it was used to comfort their heart. That's what it was for. And and so you, you have these people in Isaiah's day, at least the godly people of Isaiah's day, when they were sent off into, and they, they were, they were carted off into Assyria and Babylon. They were then to take these, just these single ideas and, and, and apply them to their, uh, uh, to their life. And these, this passage here just adds to just a little piece of the puzzle of what this Messiah is like. And if you look at verse 2 again, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. In fact, that, that looks a little out of place because right at that point, he goes into the Messiah's, when the Messiah comes, he's going to expand Israel, uh, the, the nation, there's going to be gladness, uh, he's going to bring it into the war. And in verse 6, we see the familiar verse, for a child will be born. And this is the Messiah. So the context clearly is the Messiah. But it seems out of place, this verse 2, that the people will walk in, people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Seems to be out of place because he's talking about when Christ comes and establishes his kingdom. And there's an emphasis here on light. That the Messiah is just going to burst onto the scene. And we see that same emphasis throughout Isaiah. Let me read one passage for you. Isaiah chapter 60 and verses 1 to 3. Isaiah prophesied that uh, Israel would would someday be the light for the, the world when the Messiah comes and establishes his kingdom. He says, rise and shine your light for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will rise upon you and the glory of the Lord will appear upon you. Nations will come to the light and kings to the brightness of his of your rising. Now, this isn't the glory of Solomon's days. This is glory to be uh, in the future, to be revealed. But they would hang on that. 
And so, 70 years in Babylonian captivity, they would have these words and they would, some, and they would think, someday the Messiah is going to come and He's going to rescue us out of this. And those Old Testament saints would take comfort. In Christ's day, they looked at this, and in Christ's day, this was to be a sign pointing to the Messiah. Many of them missed it. In fact, the, it, to some in Christ's day, it's going to be judgment upon them because they did miss it, especially to those authorities, because they should have known better. They should have known this passage, but they weren't careful with the Word of God, and they rejected the Messiah when He did come. Now, for us today, we look at this passage, and it gives us comfort, but not just a, a little bit of comfort, but as these, as us, as New Testament saints, we have the, the privilege of a full picture. We can see it all, the crystal clear, high definition picture of the Messiah when He came, which should be a huge comfort to our hearts. It's a huge comfort. So... To help us understand this, I want us to look at this idea of light. And more specifically, spiritual light. And I want us to ask, just in this passage, I want us to ask some questions. Just a few questions as we move through this. But I want us to see the whole of Scripture uh, concerning this, this little idea, this one little thought, that someday the Messiah is going to come and splash light onto the world. Now, to understand light, we have to understand darkness. And, and so that's where a, uh, Isaiah starts. Look back at the previous verse in chapter 8 and verse 22. Here's what he says. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness and gloom of anguish. And there will be, they will be driven into darkness. Now, it's the natural state of man is to, to dwell in darkness, just sinfulness. It, it's the, the absence of light, the absence of even spiritual light. Now, he's talking about spiritual darkness here because they're not groping a, about in, in physical darkness because the sun is blocked or, or something like that. No, he's talking about spiritual darkness. In, in fact, he uh, look at some of the words that describe it, distress. Uh, gloom of anguish, driven away into darkness, even further, deeper darkness. This is, this is, this is spiritual ignorance and all the results that come as, uh, everything that comes as a result of that. It's a lack of understanding, confusion, uncertainty, anxiety. It's exactly what he's describing. Now, look at verse 19 when you go back even further. He says, when they say to you, consult the median and the spiritist uh, who whisper and mutter. And they're so depraved spiritually that they're looking for guidance in these, in these other places. Necromancing, speaking to the dead. Talk to the spiritist. They'll give you some guidance. And here's Isaiah's response. Should not the people consult their God? I mean, that just makes sense. Just consult your God. Why do you have a God? Consult your God. Should they not consult the, should they consult the dead among the living? That doesn't even make sense. They're so confused. They're looking for guidance among the, the dead instead of the living. It should be God's word, the law, to the law and the testimony. 
If they, verse 20, if they do not seek according to their to his word, it is because they have no dawn. Now that's an interesting phrase. They have no dawn. They don't have the light. The, the light of Scripture, the light of understanding is like a sunrise that the sun comes up and they have full understanding there. But they don't have that. They don't have that. They're groping in the dark. That's the idea of spiritual darkness. Um, we would Today we would call it relativism. Everything's just relative. There's no real absolutes, no real guidance Good is evil and evil is good. There's gender dysphoria. Marriage distortion. Uh, abortion. You can kill the baby inside the womb. But once it comes out of the womb, you can't, can't kill it then. Or uh, euthanasia. Uh, we, we have sanctity of life. We appreciate life. But after a certain age, then now you can go ahead and kill life. It doesn't make sense. It's groping in the dark. And that's exactly what Romans chapter 1, Paul is describing there. And God gives them into further darkness. He calls it a depraved mind. Where they can't even tell up and down. It's darkness. Darkness. Now let's go back to our Isaiah chapter 9 passage. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Christ will someday, this Messiah will, will burst onto the earth scene. Now, he was born in Bethlehem. And his light was concealed because of his humanity, but not for long. In fact, if we look at verse 1, it gives us a little bit more uh, clarity. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. But, so he, he describes this this dark time in the end of chapter 8, the beginning of chapter 9, he says, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in, who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali with contempt. That's when they were walking in darkness. That's the northern part, that's in the northern part of Israel, the northern kingdoms, some that had already been carted off because of their ignorance, because of their spiritual ignorance, and because of their darkness. Where is that? That's exactly where Christ grew up. He goes on to say, But later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee. Of the Gentiles. Now that rings a bell. Christ was born in Bethlehem, but where did he grow up? In Galilee. And that is exactly where the light of the gospel, the light of Christ, just burst onto the scene. And that's where we come to verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see the great light. Now, folks, that's a wonderful thought. That's an amazing thought for us. So we have spiritual darkness here. Isaiah here is. Uh, prophesying that spiritual light will come from the Messiah. That's the way he's going to work. Okay? Now, number two question. What is spiritual light? What is spiritual light? Now, we know that God created light. You can see Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And he designated light as good. It's a good thing. Light cuts through the, the darkness. And it reveals things. We can see things then. 
Things become clear to us. And He created the day, uh, this greater light, the sun to rule the day, and a lesser light to govern the night. And he created it, and He looked at it, and He said, it is good. It, it is good. Light is good. It's good to be able to see, to have clarity. That's physical light. We understand the properties of physical light, but what about spiritual light? Let me give you some properties of spiritual light. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, we, we begin to see, we begin to see what he's talking about, spiritual light here. Exodus chapter 13. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day and, a, and to lead them on, a way, on their way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. This is the beginning of this Shekinah glory is what it's called. It was a pillar of fire. Now they've seen clouds, but this pillar of fire would have been amazing to see. And eventually that pillar of fire rested over the, the, the temple. This, this light rested over. And what it represented was the presence of God and God's leadership and Israel's faith in their God. But it represented the presence of God. God was with them. Job understand. So, so we begin to see the physical elements of light and, and transfer it into it being a representative of God. And we can understand that. Clarity, understanding, light, visible, direction, leading. Job understood this spiritual element of light. When he said, when his light, when his lamp shone on my, over my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. Again, he's talking about spiritual light. And he's walking through, through the dark... And he can do that because God's lamp is, is over him. He's, he's seeing what needs to happen. You have spiritual clarity there. You have truth and understanding. What does God, what is God like? What does God expect from me? What is a righteous lifestyle? That's clarity. That's spiritual light. Now, David understood this. Psalm chapter 27, verse 1. David used this same expression to, uh, to express confidence in God. He said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Psalm chapter 89, verse 15, he says, How blessed are the people who know the sound, joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in light of your countenance. Literally, your face. Again, the very presence of God. We can look up and see His face. Now that's a sobering thing, the way David is using it here. It's a sobering thing. It's sobering to live in the light. <laughs> in the very presence of God. Psalm chapter 119, verse 130, David also recognizes that the Word of God is enlightening us. He says this, the unfolding of your words give light, spiritual clarity. It gives understanding to the simple. It's like unrolling a scroll at both ends. They just unroll that and light would just would just come out of that spiritual light, understanding. What does God expect? What is God like? What does he demand of me? It becomes clear to us through the word. Proverbs chapter four, verse 18 Solomon reminds us that it's a progress. 
It's a progress. Now, just stay with me. He says this, but the path of the righteous, like the light, uh, like the light of dawn, that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. So it's just like that sunrise. Have you ever gotten up and uh, seen the, the sunrise? It's just just barely a glimpse, and, and things begin to get bright, and you 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 begin to see it. It rises up until it's full day, and then it's just so bright you can't even look at it. That's what's that's the progression, and that's the that's what happens in our understanding concerning spiritual things. The more we look, the more we uh, examine, the more we understand. And it's a progress. It's a process of things. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. I am the Lord, God says. I have called you to righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people. As a light to the nation. Now he's talking to Israel here. And Israel is going to be the, the spiritual leaders of the world. And what does that mean? And they will be the light of the nations. There's going to be clarity, understanding there. Spiritual, they would understand the spiritual reality and what needs to happen. Let me give you a couple more. John chapter 3 in the New Testament. John chapter 3 verse 21. Christ pointed this little aspect out of light and it's an attraction he says but he who practices the truth comes to the light if you're practicing the truth if you're a righteous person you there's an attraction to that light why is that so that his deeds may be manifested and having been as having been wrought by god we, are gra- we gravitate toward that so that everyone could see this is God at work in this person's life. It becomes obvious. God is at work. So then, in summary, Paul says, uh, or God, when God was talking, Christ was talking to Paul, inducting him into the ministry in Isaiah, or in Acts chapter 26, he said this, and this kind of summarizes it all. This is what Paul's mission was to do. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the domain of Satan to God. That there may be, there, they may be forgiven of their sins. And an inheritance among them, among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. This is a picture of salvation. That's what spiritual light is. It's a picture of salvation. Turning from Satan to God. Forgiveness of sin. From darkness unto light. It's a picture. So spiritual light is the revelation of truth and understanding about God and His Creator or His His Redeemer. It's just a, a spiritual reality, essentially. Now, that causes us to ask one more question. Question number three. Question number three. Was Christ that light? Was Christ that light? Let me give you some evidence to that. The whole New Testament claims that Christ was that light. The the whole Matthew all the way to Revelation. Christ is exalted. He was that light. And John articulates it so well. John chapter 1 verse 4 through 5. He says, in Him was life. That's Christ. In Christ was life. 
And that life was the light of man. So Christ, when he came, he he presented himself. Those who believed in him, they received this life and it became light to them. Spiritual understanding to them. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend it. Couldn't overpower it. So, so light here was actually spiritual birth. It's, it's like putting a seed in the ground and then the sun finally shines on that seed and germinates that seed and that seed explodes into new life. Folks, that's what happened. This is a description of the new birth. John the Baptist then comes along and he, in uh, John chapter 1, verse 6, there came a man sent from God, whose name was John, and he came to, to witness, as a witness, to testify about the light. The light. So that all men might believe through him, so that not, he was not that light, but he was sent to testify. Who sent him? God sent him. He was to point to Christ. He was point to that light. So the, the claim, the testimony of, of John the Baptist was, yes, Christ is that light that was predicted in the Old Testament. And then when he was asked, he confessed in verse 20. He says, I, he confessed and did not deny, I am not the Christ. He was just pointing to the Christ, pointing to the Christ. John chapter 1, another interesting verse here is Christ, Christ revealed God. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth was realized through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That Christ manifested. He he revealed to us what God was like. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father has explained him. Now that's spiritual clarity. Christ Christ explains God. In fact, later on, when he's talking to Thomas and his disciples, they said, uh, show, us, show us the Father. And he says, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's, that's spiritual light. Spiritual light. Christ's own testimony. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, uh, then Jesus uh, again spoke to them. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but... He, who, he will have the light of life. Later on in chapter 9, verse 5, he says, While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He was that light. In fact, the, the, new, the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew exactly what he was claiming, and that would have been blaspheming, and they would have put him to death, and that's exactly what they did. They understood. He was claiming to be the light, the one that was prophesied from the Old Testament. Now, notice what else. We have one more point of evidence. Uh, believing in Christ produces sons of light. Now, that, that points to evidence here, to Christ. Verse, uh, John chapter 12, verse 35. So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light. That means ask questions, guys. Seek clarity. So that the darkness would not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. That's a good description of what darkness is. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. 
How do you become sons of light? It's very clear. Believe in the Son. And of course, we can look at Paul's testimony as well in Acts chapter 26. So just a summary, the, the whole of the, the New Testament claims that Christ was the light that, that was predicted in the Old Testament. Okay? Number four, the fourth question, and this is just application. Application. How do we apply this? What, what do we do with this little bit of information, just this one little thought that the Messiah is going to, to, to burst onto the scene of the world with, with light? What do we do with that? Well, the best way to apply things is to see how the New Testament authors applied it. Um, we, we look at to Scripture in the New Testament and, and see how did Paul and Peter and Christ, how did they apply this? Well, Christ applied it. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, you are the light of the world. Okay, so if you have a relationship with God, then that light has been transferred to you. You are now light of the world. So we, we be light to the world. And he goes on to say that you may, they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You're the light of the world. Folks, the world, America is not going to be changed by politics. It's just not. It's going to be changed by the strong light of community churches. Just individuals like us. Strong lights in the community. Leading the way. Here's what is clear in Scripture. Here's the path of righteousness. Number two. So that's one way. Christ, and we, we knew that, that we are to be light in, in the world. Number two, we enjoy fellowship with God and, and His people. We enjoy fellowship with God and His people. First John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from Him. That's Christ. And announce to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all, right? You know that? If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie. If we say, oh, I'm a Christian, I have fellowship with God, but you don't walk like that, you're just lying. You're fooling yourself and you're trying to fool everybody else. You lie and do not practice the truth, he says. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with, with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We have fellowship with Him and fellowship with others. That's walking in the light. There's a spiritual clarity there. We understand who God is, who this Messiah is, spiritual understanding of, of what's expected of us and how to develop that into a, a lifestyle that glorifies God. It's a, it's a, we're just walking in the light. Number three, remember who you are. Remember who you are. It's by way of application. This is the way Paul applied it. We saw Christ, how Christ applied it. We saw how John, first John applied it. We, we see how Paul applies it in first Thessalonians chapter five, verse four. He said, but you brethren, there's a strong contrast here. You brethren are not in darkness that the day would overtake you as a thief, that you're going to be squelched and they're going to overtake you, for you are sons of light, sons of day. You are not of night nor of darkness. <laughs> What's he saying there? Be distinct. Remember who you are. You're a son of, of light. Live in light of that. 
you are you have spiritual clarity you have a a spiritual awareness you are aware of the the spiritual realm now what god expects and he says just live that out remember that paul goes on to apply this and i like this second corinthians chapter 4 he says even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded. That's darkness, isn't it? The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they may not see the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see the connection there? For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ. We proclaim Christ. That's application. Christ as Lord. And ourself as his bond servants. We just see ourselves in the proper reality, spiritual reality, for the for God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in your heart to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You see how all that pulls together? He's shined his light in your life transformed your life with the, the understanding, given clarity and understanding of repentance of sin, faith in Christ, changing that life. You've got a new birth there through the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We just believed in Christ and all of a sudden we have some spiritual clarity there. And so we preach Christ. That's the change agent. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me give you another one. Peter applies it. Here's how Peter applies it in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of Him who, who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So what do we do? We proclaim Him. We proclaim the excellences of Him. Look what God has done with this life. I was nobody from nowhere. I was ignorant as dirt. And the Lord, the Lord shone His light upon me. The Lord had mercy upon me. And we extol, extol the, the glories and the excellences of, of God. Look what God can do in a life. That's what we do. That's how Peter applied it. He goes on, applies it another way in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. He says, so we have a prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a light, as a lamp shining in a dark place until the dawn and the day dawns and the morning stars arise in your heart. Now, what's he talking about there? Again, spiritual clarity, spiritual understanding, a lamp shining. And, and it's like the dawn of day, just the rising of the sun. You, you may not understand everything at first. Just keep pursuing and it's talked about just growing in the light, growing in your understanding of spiritual things. You pursue those things till, till it becomes crystal clear in your own heart and your own mind. Like the sunrise. That's exactly what the Word of God. We, we renew our minds and, and spiritual clarity comes. Let me give you a couple more. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, this is Paul. Therefore, do not partake with them. Don't partake with the unbelievers, for you were 
You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What does that mean? For the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. You you have to walk in the light. What does that consist of? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. You, You just say, well, no, just tell me what to do. No, you walk in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn, goes on, what is pleasing to the Lord. That's the, that's the desire of every believer's heart. How can I please my Father? That's what walking in the light is. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead, he says, expose them. That's what light does, doesn't it? It exposes the darkness. For it is disgraceful even to speak of Things which are done by them in secret. We don't want to know. We expose those things. Verse 13. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. That's what the, the light of the world is. Being the light of the world is exposing the darkness. Getting that stuff out so that the full light of day can can be shown on that and we can see it for what it really is in light of spiritual clarity. And then one more, number eight. Be thankful. I love this. I love this. Look at Paul's the way Paul thinks. Colossians chapter 1, verse, 13, verse 12. He says, Give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance with the saints in light. Saints in light. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Folks, we have a lot to be thankful for. We move from darkness unto light. And it's because of that one Messiah. It was predicted back in Isaiah's day. Someday the Messiah is going to come and He's going to splash light right on the, on the earth, on the, on the whole world. And we become sons of light. So we enter this season, this Christmas season, folks, and we're going to see lots of lights. See lights on the Christmas tree. See lights everywhere. I put up my Christmas lights yesterday. It should be a reminder. Just each one of these little lights should be a reminder. Just one attitude. Just one idea. Just one thought. Just the Messiah. Someday that Messiah is going to come. We dwell on that. We think about that. What a thought, Right? What a thought that that just explodes in our mind and it gives us peace. It gives us comfort. Why light? Because it describes exactly uh, so well the effect that the Messiah is going to have on his people. It's understanding. It's light. That's the way he's going to work. Scribes and Pharisees, they missed it. They, They mishandled the word of God. Folks, we have to be careful. We take one thought, the, the, the verse in the Word of God, and we, we meditate on it, we think about it, and it's a huge comfort to our own heart. Now, the question has to be asked. Is the, the light on you? Do, do, do you? do you have that reality? Are you, are you at least growing in your understanding of the light? And then I have to ask the question, what do, you, what do you take comfort in? You're taking comfort in the Word of God. You're seeking comfort from other places that you shouldn't be seeking comfort from. Like Isaiah is confronting the, 
His people? Or do you just give in to the flesh? Just worry? Be anxious? It's easier to do that. It's much harder to take the Word of God, even one principle, mull it over, think it through, and calm our anxious heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for (laughs) the Messiah. We thank You, Lord, for just Him bursting into our life with light. Just all of a sudden we have clarity. We have understanding. We repent of our own sinful lifestyle and our own sins. And we turn in faith in Christ. And and then all of a sudden we we have even more clarity. We have... We become sons of light. Lord, what a, what a reality that is for us. What a change maker that is. Lord, I pray that we would grasp that thought and all that it contains. Lord, thank you for predicting it many, many years ago. And thank you for bringing it to pass in Christ. Lord, it's so good for us to be able to look back and have have all of these things laid out, all of the pieces of the puzzle fitting together. And Lord, may we use that to comfort our hearts with Your Word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.